take your seats. Thank you, guys. Hi, everyone. Um, just for those of you that, that don't know me or don't know what all these lampstands are about, I'm Leon, the uh, senior pastor of the church here, leader of the church here. And I've been doing a series over the last few weeks, uh, which is connected to these floating lampstands. And I'm just going to recap for those of you that haven't been with us or those of you that have been asleep while I've been speaking. Um, just, so, just to recap you there, because I woke some of you up straight away. Um, so in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, who is in exile on the island of Patmos, uh, is, uh, is in the spirit on the Lord's Day and he gets tapped on the shoulder and he sees Jesus. He sees this amazing vision of the Son of Man and it is absolutely phenomenal. And the Bible says that out of that, Jesus says to John, write down these messages to the churches in Asia Minor, the area that we now know as Turkey. There were seven key churches. And so he writes these messages. It's like mail. Okay, it's like sending an email or something in the day to these churches. And we've looked at six of these seven churches over the last few weeks. And we've imagined what it would have been like to have been gathered you know, in, in a building or in a space that they would have been in uh, to hear the message from Jesus for that specific church. So we looked at the church at Ephesus, which is the first one. And the message that came through there was to be passionate. They'd lost their first loves. The message that we received from that church was be passionate. Then we looked at the church in Smyrna and the message there was be faithful, be faithful. And then we moved on and we looked at the church in Pergamon and uh, that was a tough one that was because we looked at the message be watchful. You know they were too tolerant. We were asking the question how tolerant is too tolerant? They had allowed things, teaching and practices and behaviour to infiltrate the church and Jesus said be watchful. And then to Thyatira a similar message be holy. Looked at the whole area of sexual morality and all of that. And then last week, um, we looked at another two churches, which will come to me at any moment while I continue to speak. We looked at the church called Sardis. <laughs> and uh, we looked at this whole thing about the church at Sardis, which was in this high place, which was secure, but, went, but was destroyed because it was asleep. And, and, and the message there was, be awake. We must be awake. And then finally, we looked at the church Philadelphia, and the message there that just said, be hopeful. Because Jesus said, I've got the keys and I open the doors and I've set before you an open door. So be hopeful. Well, there's one church left. This is a tough message to hear this morning. But there is one church left. So watch the screen. The final church to receive a message from Jesus is the church at Laodicea. This was founded in 3 BC on the fertile valley of the Lycus River. Laodicea sits at the crossroads between the cities of Miletus and Ephesus. Under Roman rule, this is an important commercial centre for banking, manufacturing and medicine. In fact, this city has so much wealth and riches that in AD 60, when there's an earthquake, they don't need to go to the Emperor Nero for any help because they have all the wealth themselves. They lacked nothing apart from one thing, water. Laodicea was situated in a place where there was no natural water. They had to pipe in hot water and they had to pipe in cold water. And due to the distance, by the time the hot water came in, it was lukewarm. This was such a problem that eventually the city was abandoned and now is just a small town called Denizil. The church at Laodicea is mentioned five times in the book of Colossians. This church is a church that has incredible wealth, but has forgotten its source. Laodicea, you've got mail. 
Right, so if you've got your Bibles, if you want to grab them in Revelation chapter 3, that would be fantastic. Um, can I just say before we dive into this, part of the reason why I really felt um, inspired, if you like, to do this series was because I wanted to look at bits of Revelation, I wanted to look at these messages. I've never looked at them myself, so if you haven't enjoyed it, I really have. I've got a lot out of it. It's been fantastic research. And I wanted to do that and to take you through some scriptures verse by verse and hit all the issues that come. But there was another reason. Because actually, it's great that we're going to look at these messages to seven churches. But there's a key phrase that keeps coming back time and time again. And it's this, if you've got ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church, don't we? And on October the 18th and 19th, we have our next vision night. And if you're a part of this church or you're checking it out or you just arrived and you want to know what we're about, whoever you are, you're very welcome to come on the 18th or the 19th of October and to hear what we believe God is saying to us as a church. The elders went on retreat a couple of weekends ago. We have a meeting on Monday. We have a meeting on the 12th. Please pray for us. And we want to bring to you on that night, the 18th or the 19th, it's a repeat program, what we sense that God is saying to us as a church. We'll be giving you an update on the building and where we feel we're going with it. And uh, so that was partly why I wanted to do this series as well, to prepare us and to, for us to look inward a little bit and to look at the text and to ask ourselves, do we have spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church? Because just as Jesus spoke to those seven churches, he's speaking to this one too, isn't he? And we want to have ears to hear that message. So... Are there ever, do you have passages of scripture, bits in the Bible, which you think are really scary? Anyone? There are three that I've always thought were really scary to me. Ever since I was a teenager and I've been brought up in church, so I've heard these verses. But when I was a teenager, I really remember being really quite freaked out about three passages of scripture. The first one was the one where Jesus talks about separating people like sheep and goats. Do you remember that one? And if you've been out to the Middle East at all, you'll know that sheep and goats look very similar to each other. They don't look like our sheep and our goats. They actually look very similar, which makes that text more poignant, I think. But the idea that he was going to separate out the sheep and the goats, and to the one group he's going to say, depart from me. All right? And it just freaked me out to think, oh, crikey, I could be a goat. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you know, what's, and then the other one that's really scary, I think, is, is where those people are trying to get into the kingdom of heaven. And they say, and, and Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter. And they say, but we prophesied in your name. We did miracles. We did all this stuff. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Now, that always has freaked me out. I don't know whether you think that that you could do things in the name of God. You could prophesy and do miracles. And Jesus might say, I never knew. That's always scared me. But the third one that's always freaked me out is this one that we want to look at today. And uh, when we look at the, the, the letter to Laodicea, for 30 years, probably, something like 30 years, I reckon, I have had an impression of this passage of Scripture, which now I have a slightly different view on, which is quite good. It isn't as scary as what I thought it was for the last 30 years. It's challenging, but it's not as scary. But what we're going to look at is the charge and the consequence that comes to the church at Laodicea. So in verse 14, it says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. See, this is Jesus saying, These are the words of the Amen. I'm the ultimate Okay, the beginning and the end. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now here is the charge. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Sorry, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How many of you think that's a great encouraging scripture for Sunday? Isn't that brilliant? Could you imagine being in the church at Laodicea and you're all gathering together and you're all excited about what Jesus is going to say to you as a church and, and he opens up with the, the preamble, you know, the angel of the church, not preamble, the words of the Amen, all good, all good, I know your deeds, all good, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, you make me gag. Because that's what he's really saying. Because the word spit is literally the word Vomit. So the charge is that you're lukewarm. The consequence is that God says that kind of spiritual condition makes me gag. It makes me want to throw up. I thought, wow. And if you're a visitor this morning, whoa, then you're excited about this message straight away, aren't you? But just hang with me a bit, okay? Have you ever, have you ever had something that's made you gag, food-wise? Anyone? You've got certain kind of foods that marmite. Anyone a marmite lover? About half the people. Isn't that interesting? And it reminded me, I think I've told it before, and I haven't asked his permission, but he'll forgive me. I know he will. Uh, a few months ago, Lee and myself were out in the Far East, and we were, we were in this restaurant, and we were just going to eat this meal before we got on a 14-hour flight to fly back. And they, our hosts thought it would be really good if they gave us loads of local food that we've never eaten before and would never want to eat before again, uh, and that we would eat it all before we went on a 14-hour flight, which was, they were lovely people, love them. And so we're eating this soup, which is absolutely fine. The soup was absolutely fine until Lee made the fatal mistake of asking the person, what's in the soup? Can I just say, if ever you're over in that part of the world, and I love that part of the world, and if you're from it, I love you, it's fantastic. Just eat it, don't ever ask what's in it. Because it was fine until he said what's in it. And then she described graphically the insides of a fish. The urethra, the pancreas, the, the, the bowels, the, the flotation sac. That's what we were eating. At that point, I noticed that he has kind of got a gag reflex going on. He's struggling to eat anything. All of a sudden, what he's eating is making him want to gag. And, and it's like God is saying that the spiritual condition of being lukewarm makes me want to throw. The problem is, we don't understand what the metaphor really means. And for nearly 30 years, I've got the wrong impression of what the metaphor really means. So, let me try and describe it. Let me think about it in gender. If I was to say to you, that woman is hot, what might you think? (laughs) The men are thinking something, the women are thinking something else. If I was to say to you, that woman is hot, if I was to say to you, that woman is cold, what would you think? You'd think that I was looking at a woman and it's quite positive, she's attractive, and the other woman, not so. How about sporting analogy? If I was to say, that guy today, that footballer, he is on fire. He's really hot. That guy, he's cold. How about a Christian conference? Do you want to go to this conference? Catch the fire. Does that sound good? How about if a Christian conference was called Catch a Cold? You see what I mean? The problem is that in our mind, our mental image is hot is good, cold is bad. Hot is fire, passion, cold is ice, it's nasty. We want hot, we don't want cold. So for years, I've thought that Jesus says, unless you are hot and on fire, you might as well be cold and dispassionate and icy. Unless you're on, you might as well be off. Because if you're in the middle lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out my mouth. So the pressure then is always to be hot, isn't it? Always to be hot and always to be on fire. 
Let me ask you a question and please be honest. Are there ever times when you do not feel hot spiritually? Is there times when you don't feel on fire? Is there times where you don't feel that right, that passion burning up and you could take on the world for Jesus? Because there are lots of times when I don't feel like that. So is Jesus saying that if I don't feel like that, I might as well not bother? No, he's not. You see, the problem is we don't understand the metaphor. Um, several years ago, and this does make it sound like I do travel all around the world, which I guess I do from time to time, and um, Matt was on this trip with me and my dad went and someone else who's not part of the church. Four of us went to Seoul in South Korea. Is there any Koreans in this morning? Okay, sometimes there are from OM, so that's great. This is, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, even if you are. But I went, we went to Seoul in South Korea to a conference, and we, it was a brilliant time. It was in the late 90s. I was very excited going to the largest church in the world as it was at the time, the Yonggi Cho's church of three quarters of a million people. It was a phenomenal experience. Uh, but but the, the one I want to talk to you about was that in the hotel that we were staying, there was a gym that was at the bottom of the... <laughs> Matt knows where I'm going here. There was at the bottom of the hotel. And uh, we were in this hotel, it was kind of like a business hotel as well, a lot of businessmen, and we thought we'd go down to the gym. We went down to the gym, and as we looked in through the windows, we noticed that all of the men, because it was men only in this part of the gym, were all naked, totally but naked, okay? And we're British and we don't do that for lots of reasons, okay? Because we'd scare people and be arrested and all kinds of things. So, but I looked in and I thought, actually, there is a man who has swimming trunks on, so we're okay. So we walked in in our swimming trunks, but that man was the man that was in charge. He was the staff. And he looked at us and no English and basically went. (laughs) So we thought, okay, so they had to come off. So we're all naked as well. Now, there are images there that you don't want to linger on, isn't there? Yeah. Some of you are struggling to even listen to me right now. I know. Focus on the clothes. So (laughs) So we go into the gym and they're doing all kinds of stuff like they're massaging people. They're jumping on their backs and there's all this kind of thing that they do out there. Brilliant. But there are three plunge pools. And on the one side, the plunge pool is absolutely hot. It is steaming, scalding water. There is steam rising of it. It is so hot. On the other side of the three, there's an absolutely freezing plunge pool, which is icy, freezing cold. There's that kind of icy steam coming off. Right in the middle is a jacuzzi. It's not really hot. It's not really cold. It's nice and lukewarm. Now, the Japanese guys and the Koreans don't touch the middle one. They go straight into the plunge pool. They don't dip their toe in like we Brits do. Do you know what I mean? At the swimming pool. And, you know, or hot. They just go straight in and they plunge straight in and come straight up. Then they go to the icy cold one and went straight in and straight up. And they kept doing that. In the middle, there are four Brits. <laughs> Naked, but in the jacuzzi. We ain't going near the hot and we ain't going near the cold. We want to stay right in the middle. Now, hot, good, cold, bad is not the analogy that Jesus is using, I believe. And to understand this, and we'll come back to the plunge pool later, we have to understand a little bit of geology and geography. Laodicea sits in a valley. It has no natural water. It has to pipe water in. Hierapolis is this town which is seven miles east and Colossae is this town which is ten miles north. Hierapolis was famous for natural thermal springs, hot water. They were healing springs. Colossae was famous for natural, cold, refreshing, life-giving water. Laodicea was famous, amongst other things, for having neither. 
So they had to pipe in this hot and this cold water. And by the time it arrived to them, and because it was coming through limestone, it, all, it came to them neither hot nor cold, but it came through as lukewarm, full of contaminated limestone. And here's the thing, Laodicea was a really rich city, which we'll look at in a moment. They had loads of ornate water features that were filled with this useless water. Have you ever drunk lukewarm water that's contaminated? It is not nice to drink. So it wasn't hot, as in healing, soothing, enriching. It wasn't cold, as in refreshing. It was in the middle, it was neither. Could it be that Jesus is saying to us, could it be that Jesus wants you and I and this church To be a church that is either hot, as in warming, healing, thermal, or cold, as in refreshing, life-giving, or both. What he doesn't want is for us to be neither. Just kind of lukewarm, bland, in the middle. Could it be that hot and cold are good? Could it be what's not good is neither? Could it be that Jesus is saying, listen, I want you as a church, and I want you as a believer to live your life in such a way that you... That you, out of you, comes water which is warm, which is healing, which is thermal. Or water which is cold, which is refreshing, which is life-giving. Because just as in the light analogy, you don't receive light just for yourself, but so that you can shine in the darkness. So in the water analogy, you don't receive the water of God's Spirit just so that you can drink, but so that you can be a conduit for other people. You see, it's interesting that Jesus says, I know your deeds. He doesn't say, I know your feelings. Because when we think hot and cold, we think feelings, don't we? Am I, on, am I hot or am I cold? Am I on fire or am I not? We think feelings. He says, I know your deeds. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're not life-giving. You're not warming. You're neither. Could it be that this is an invitation to impact? That this is an invitation to be useful for God's kingdom? That this is an invitation to make a difference? You know, there are hundreds and hundreds of opportunities that you and I get every day to be hot or cold, to make an impact. You know, the Community Action Day in two weeks' time. Can I just say, it's not even a day, all right? You should, you should do, Janet, under the Trade Description Act. It's just a morning. It's nine till one. If we can't give nine till one on a Saturday up, which is a sacrifice, in order to bless our community, that's an opportunity for us to be hot and cold, refreshing, life-giving, thermal. What, what, we, what we don't want to give them is nothing. It's like a lukewarmness. That's a great opportunity. We could invite someone to back to church. We could walk across the room in our office. We, we, we could do something. We could reach out practically. We could pray for someone. We could be a shoulder for someone to lean on. We could be an arm around. We can do lots of things. I know your deeds, he says. You're not hot and you're not cold. You're just in the jacuzzi. And rather than go out on a limb and be useful, you're just sat on the fence, mate, in the middle. And that makes me gag. What's the cause of all this? What causes this spiritual condition of lukewarmness? Well, in verse 17, we have a clue. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Another way to win friends and influence people. You think you're rich, but actually you're poor, blind and naked. No words in scripture are wasted. Laodicea was famous for three things. You saw it on the video. It was famous for its vast wealth. It had so much wealth that in AD 60, when there's an earthquake, and the emperor Nero says, 
boys, you've had an earthquake. The treasury will help you. They said, you're all right, emperor. We've got this one covered. Can you imagine that? They didn't need any assistance from the government. All right? Okay? Obviously, there's some government cuts going on there in the day. We don't need it. We've got a big society all of our own. You know, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. See, 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 we've got all we need. We don't need you. That's funny because Jesus says you're poor and yet they're incredibly rich. Blind. Interesting. Laodicea was the centre for ophthalmics, the centre for the study of eyes. They developed a, a, a salve that you put on eyes that had incredible healing properties that was known in the whole region. Yet Jesus says they're blind. Naked. Even more interesting, there are sheep there that have this black wool, which was very rare and very fashionable. They design clothes out of the black wool that was, it's like the Milan of the area. That these were kind of designer clothes that everybody wanted to wear. So they were rich, they had this amazing eye salve, and they wore designer clothes that were legendary all around the region. And yet Jesus says, you are poor, blind, and naked. You see the condition that causes lukewarmness is the condition called self-sufficiency. When we say, do you know what? We don't need anyone else. We don't even really need God because we've got it all covered. We are in big trouble. I don't need anyone else. I don't need to ask for help. I don't need to say sorry. I don't need to admit my lack. I, I don't need to, to, to say that I've not got it all together. I don't need to ask for anyone else to stand alongside me. When we say things like that, we run the risk of ending up like the Laodicean church. Self-sufficient, but poor, blind, and naked. And the counsel that Jesus brings the church here in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Again, if you read that on Facebook, you think, what's he talking about? He's like, he says you're poor, blind and naked. And then he says, so what you need to do is to buy some gold and get some eye salve and, and get some other clothes. What's he saying? Well, the language he's using here, he's using this language because this is the language they understand. Okay. He's not literally saying you need to buy gold from it. He's using the language that they understand. Now, there's a picture coming up on, on the screen. And um, if you were to see a piece of this and have a piece of this in your hand, I studied geology when I was at college. I was sad and collected rocks and things, very sad. Um, but if you had a piece of this in your hand, you would look at it and you might think it's gold. Because this looks like gold and it feels like gold, but this is iron pyrites. This is what's commonly called fool's gold. And when you're digging for gold and panning for gold, you can come across this stuff and you can get all excited and, uh, and actually you're, you're mistaken because it's not real gold, it's fool's gold. And it's a little bit like Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, you've got all this stuff that you think is gold, your wealth and your eye salve and your stuff, but actually you don't realise that it's fool's gold. Not because it's not important, and not because it's not valuable, because the issue is not value, but because it tricks you into thinking that that's the gold that you're looking for. See, if you contrast Laodicea with Smyrna in chapter 2, very interesting. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says to Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So to Smyrna, he says, I know you're poor, but you're rich. To Laodicea, it says, you think you're rich, but you're poor. Do you remember Smyrna? I used the, um, the analogy there behind there of the, the two candles. Do you remember that? The, the thin candle and the thick candle. 
and, and the one with the thick wax and the one with a, th- a small amount of wax. And Jesus is saying, the wax is all the stuff you've got. And that's irrelevant. What's really important is that your wick is lit. So you guys in Smyrna, you don't think you've got much, but your wick is lit. And that's fantastic. You guys in Laodicea, you've got a lot of wax, but your wick is not lit. You think you're rich, but actually you're poor. And so he says, so what I want you to do is I want you to buy gold from me. I I want you to to get not fool's gold, but real gold. And and we could look at some other scriptures. Gold refined in the fire. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. See, there is a gold that you can get from God, which is real gold, which is not false gold. It's faith refined in the fire. It says in Colossians that, that you've got to put on the clothes of compassion and of kindness and humility and all of that. It, it says in, in Hebrews that we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want to be poor, blind and naked, then settle for your gold, settle for your eyes salve and settle for your designer clothes. But if you want to be rich... If you want to be rich, then you can only get gold from me, is what Jesus is saying. You see, I think that we all long for gold. If I tell you some things that I I define as gold, we all long for joy, peace, love, security, purpose, hope. How many of you, you all long for that, yeah? We all long for that. And, And what we do is we think that we find that through these kind of things, through relationships, through marriage, through having kids. Through a job, through money, through getting stuff, through achieving something, through being successful or significant, through um, retiring and resting, through having pleasure, through music, through experiences, through entertainment. We all think that that's the stuff that's going to satisfy that craving for gold that we have inside of us. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. We can enjoy them all, but don't be tricked into thinking that that's real gold, because it ain't. Does anybody know someone who's got lots of this worldly gold, yeah? Do you know what? I know lots of people who've got lots of this kind of stuff. They're successful, they've got money, they've got significance, they've got promotions, great. Do you know what? They still can have some sleepless nights, can't they? Those guys can still be anxious. Those guys can still feel insecure. Why? Because that gold is not the gold that we're really looking for. There's nothing wrong with it and we can enjoy it and it's great, but it's not the real stuff. The real stuff only comes from Jesus. And what he's saying to this church is that you guys are so self-sufficient and what you've done is you've shut me out and you think that you've got it all amongst you but actually what you're really looking for is outside. It's me and you've put me out. And then what I love about this, I love this, is that we talk, it talks about, the, for me, the compassion of Jesus. In verse 19 and 20, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You know, this is really challenging and many of the messages I know have been really challenging. And Whenever anyone says direct, strong, challenging words to you, you can feel that that's not a loving thing. But you know what? It can be the most loving thing that they could ever do to you. Because Jesus loves the church so much that he speaks the truth. And... It, the Bible says that those he loves are the ones he disciplines. 
The worst thing that God can ever do to you is to take his hand off you. Do you know that? So if you ever feel like God's disciplining me or God's... Does anyone feel like that ever in your life? That God's kind of testing me, he's he's trying to teach me something, he's disciplining me. If you're ever going through that, you need to know that's because God loves you. Because the worst thing he can do is to take his hand off you and let you get on with it. And you think, oh, I'm all right on my own. And he says, well, fine, then you go on your own. That's the worst thing that God can ever do. But you know, he doesn't just offer rebuke because he's, uh, he's loving and compassionate. He says in verse 20, this famous verse, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know, for years I thought that that was all about evangelism and, and, and there's a truth in that as well. But, but this is written to the church. It's not written to people who don't, know, who don't say they know Christ. This is written to people who say they do know Christ. And what he says, Jesus says, and you know that famous painting, The Light of the World, you may have seen it, the painting of a door and Jesus with a lantern and there's a handle on the door, but the handle's not on the outside, it's on the inside. It's this idea that only I can open that door and let the light of the world in. And I've often thought about, again, quite scary, he's standing at the door and he's knocking, open the door and I will come in and smack him. That's not what it says. Jesus says, listen, I'm at the door and knocking. If you'd only open it up, I'd come into your house. And I wouldn't come in and I wouldn't just say, I'm the boss. I'd come in and I'd sit at your table and I'd eat with you. Isn't that amazing? It's one of the most ultimate expressions of friendship and relationship and community is eating together. We've celebrated this morning. This was a meal. Firstly, it was a meal, not a a thing. It was a meal. And Jesus is saying, I love you so much, church, that I don't want to be on the outside, I want to be on the inside. I want to be your source. And I want to eat with you. And I want you to eat with me. And out of relationship and out of love with God, then hot and cold water will start to flow. And that hot water will be thermal and it will be healing and it will be soothing. And that cold water will be refreshing and it will be life-giving and it will be invigorating. But until you let me in, all you're doing is you're sat in the jacuzzi And it makes me want to throw. And he says, so I love you. Please open up the door and let me in so that we can eat together. And the final thing is in verse 21. Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Isn't that gold? Sat with him on his throne. I would say that's real gold. Hmm. And sat, just as I've overcome and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The final message that I believe that this brings home to us, and this one I found really difficult. The others were easy in terms of be passionate, be watchful, but they were easy. I really struggled with this one. But I want to sum it up by just saying, I think this is the message. Be sure, be sure, be sure today that you know Jesus. I am going to make this evangelistic this morning. Be sure that you know Jesus. Because if you don't, you will spend the rest of your life looking for gold. And it will always be fool's gold. So make sure today that you know Jesus Christ. Secondly, be sure that He is the source of your life. That if you say that you're a follower of Christ, be sure that He is your source. Be sure that you've let Him in. Be sure that you're in relationship with Him. That you're eating at the table with Him. And then you could go on and say, be sure that your wick is lit. You know that the candle is, on, is alight. Be sure that you're passionate. 
Be sure that you're faithful and watchful and holy and awake and hopeful and all the other things that we've said. But be sure today that your self-sufficiency is being dealt with and that this is about Christ and Him at work within you. Why don't we pray? Let's close our eyes for a moment and pray. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If there's anyone here, perhaps you, you have not made sure and certain of where you are with God and you, you've, never, you've never really surrendered. You've never really bowed your knee. You've never said, that's it. You know, I, I'm not going to depend on my gold anymore. I recognize who I am and that I'm poor, blind and naked. But God, I want to say, please, would you come into my house? Would you, would you save me? And if you've never done that before, we would be so thrilled to help you in that this morning. And I want to say to you that at the end, if, if, if you want to come and talk to any of us about that, you can do that. But I want to just right now for all of us, just want to ask us to, to say to Jesus, Lord, I'm going to keep my door open and you're going to be the one that sits at my table. And Lord, the gold that I'm going to focus on is going to be the gold that comes from you, that is refined in the fire, that's genuine. And the clothes that I'm going to wear, I'm going to strop my stuff in, is not going to be just the fashion clothes, the designer clothes. It's going to be the clothes that you say are really good. And Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to see by keeping my eyes fixed on you. Because I'm not going to be poor, blind and naked, but Lord, I want to be alive. I want to be rich with the right kind of Stuff And Lord, I want my life not to be that insipid, lukewarm jacuzzi. But God, I want it to be hot. I want it to be cold. I want it to be refreshing. I want it to be life-giving. I want it to be healing. I want it to be soothing. And Lord, that will only come when I let you in from the inside. So Lord, we, we just want to declare as a church and as individuals that we declare today that you are our center that you are our source and that we surrender to you today. So Lord, we open up our doors. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we open up our hearts again? Let's welcome him by his spirit into this place, into our lives again. And We're going to sing this great song. It's an old song that we know very well. and It just puts it into words and into music. And I want to encourage you you know, that perhaps where you've been self-sufficient, just to let Jesus flood you again today. And if at the end of our time, if any of you want prayer, then there are people that can be available to you here and can pray for you. But why don't we just sing this great song together and let's just let the Holy Spirit just fill us and refresh us again as we worship Him.